Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello. Thank you. is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps i'm josh wiggler and the man who just blew out your ears with that introduction is mike bloom mike how you doing i'm just preparing him for when i blow out their eardrums with just my naturally loud voice so i think it's more of a a preparation a little bit of foreplay Uh, hey josh wait go long (laughs) oh you know what this is embarrassing i'll just get it out of the way they can't can't throw a football can't catch a football. Very bad around a football. Uh, I, I like to think that maybe one of like the underlying reasons why I don't have a child yet is because of like the inevitability of having to confront that child someday and being like, listen, I know you want to know how to throw a football. I can't. I can't do it. I can't. Sh- well, listen, I can't that, show is, you. that is not stopped me, Josh, from my pursuing my own path down well, parenthood. When Asher is ready to go, you better sign up for some lessons. Isn't it a I don't know. At, this po- at that point, I'm assuming that robots will be throwing balls for us yeah. back and forth. In so just like, come of- on, son, let's watch the Balltron throw the ball back and forth and comment upon how AI Ooh, has I, taken all of I our lives by Balltron, storm. I will form the head. Uh, <laughs> This cowboy's daddy issues is that his daddy never taught him how to play sports, and so I'm afraid of what would happen if I were, I wouldn't know what Ooh. to do. Well, I know that your father recently, Josh, penned you an email about how he thought Lost was a brilliant yes. show. Did he get? Did he have any comments about the football tossing at the end of Par Avion by chance? You know what? So the great Dr. Michael Wiggler and uh, my mother are uh, both watching Lost right now, and they are actually really close to where we are on the podcast. <laughs> uh, they're they're going on a daily pace. Uh, I think they're doing like one a day. Uh, and so they're in the middle of season three right now. And I did get this email from my dad uh, with the with the subject line being lost. And it was like 12.04 a.m. Oh, like, that's a lost number. At least one of them. I was like, all right, here we go. And I open it up and he goes, a brilliant show. 
That's all it said. <laughs> uh, to which I I replied, uh, I think something along the line. Here, I'll find it. I think I replied something along the lines of like, uh, truly the best. Uh, mm. Yeah, I said the best of all time is what I said. The best of all time. And then he responded by saying, I think so. Uh, so wait. So is he walking back his opinion, or was he? Was he? I mean, he thought it was a brilliant show, but there are so many brilliant shows that it might be one of the best of all time. Yeah, I, I think, I think, I don't know. You know, he's a his he he he's like the smoke monster in many ways. Uh, he's just like constantly <laughs> shifting and shape shifting. Oh my god, is your dad Titus Wolliver? Uh, my dad might be uh, Mikhail, according to to one of your theories, which I expect we might start getting into today. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Mikhail exactly. Wiggler. Uh, but no, it's really fun that my parents are watching Lost right now, and so like that gives us something additional to talk about. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> is sort of like a, well, I guess we can call it like on the B and B over on the reality uh, TV side of things. We do a casuals corner. I wouldn't call your parents necessarily casual. Oh, they're lost we, casuals. They're lost casuals. Yeah, so maybe we could do like a lost casual check-in. Take the temperature of like, who do they like? Who do they not like at this point? They're lost casuals, but I will also say that my mother, at least, is a post-show recaps patron. Uh, what? Dee Dee. What's your excuse, people? So, if Josh's mom look, can if be my one. mom can be a member of the post-show recaps patron community, then why not you? Why not yourself? Go to patreon.com slash post-show recaps. We've got the weekly movie club, the weekly community building podcast, the weekly watching with Wiggler podcast, uh, the Discord at the two higher levels. It's a great time. Uh, lots of lost talk in there. Lots of down-the-hatch specific conversation that happens yeah. each and every day Which, in the by Discord. the way, thank you to the hatchlings for it. Only on the Discord can you find the gif of Jack doing the most awkward touchdown dance yes, ever. We will not there. put that out on the internet. You have to go into it's the there. Discord to find that. It's there. I promise we won't do too much plugging of the Patreon today, but there you go. It's low, yeah, low-hanging fruit. Low hanging Let fruit. me just put in a quick plug, though, because this is something that actually, if you're interested in the Josh and Mike of it all, oh, there is yeah. something there for this your is, interest. This is, this is worth mentioning, yes. Okay, so look. Uh, Mike Bloom and I have just uh we we have we have finalized negotiations on a podcast that we have wanted to do for a very long time now i don't know very. i don't know if you know this uh but once upon a time it a recently it was a show i covered uh, uh, was a show that mike covered uh <laughs> a recently retired weekly survivor podcast that i used to do over at rob has a podcast called the wiggle room who knows what forms that may spring up again and at some point in the future you may also not know this but mike's last name is bloom uh, and so for a very long time, literally for years, Mike and I have talked about like, when are we going to launch the wiggle bloom? Like that's it's just natural. It's there. It's low hanging fruit. And so we have decided that we are going to do a patron only podcast called the wiggle bloom. As soon as we reach 750 patrons of post show recaps, unlike the community rewatch podcast where we are saying we will do a community rewatch podcast if we hit hit a thousand patrons by the end of 2020, this one has no expiration date. We just got to get 750 patrons. And the second that that is activated, Mike and I will have a patron only podcast called the Wiggle Bloom where you will get all sorts of shenanigans related to pop culture. It will be much like the smoke monster shape shifting with regularity. Oftentimes, it'll be a Brant Steel Survivor simulation, or I would even do a Big Brother simulation, Mike, should the, well, uh, should the I mean, occasion arise. That, that, yeah, because you're sort of the Big Brother what our friend Chappelle was to Australian Survivor. So I think I that'd got be no idea. a fun way to... 
Yeah, to backdoor introduce you. I think also to be candid, and I don't know if this is an incentive or a disincentive, one of the things I did text Josh upon us working through this was, I think the first thing we should do is watch Cats. So, <laughs> if you want that to yeah, happen, I that, mean, like, that you, might be the first thing we do on the Wiggle Boom, because Josh and I are also very, you know, uh, sort of well-versed in our musical theater fandom, and we've sure. had, you know, few opportunities to talk about it, so I'm sure we could find the venue to properly gab on about I, it. I think it would basically, it's, it, it would be like, we don't know if it would be weekly, every other week, once a month, where you know that would all be stuff that evolves i think um but it would be a regular excuse for mike and i to just like talk about all the things that we would be talking about offline anyway in podcast form uh, <laughs> exactly. and so i i do think it would be really really fun um we are going to activate that as soon as we hit 750 which who knows when that will be uh but it'll be a patron only podcast so the only way you'll be able to get it is if you are a patron of post show recap so if you love what we're doing on down the hatch anyway if you want to show a little bit of support for what we're doing on the podcast you can become a patron of post your recaps with a future benefit of a new podcast, The Wiggle Bloom, uh, which uh, would, unlike uh, Lost Down the Hatch, which we are getting close to like, we're like a year and two months away from Josh, finishing the show. Yep. Par Avion officially marks from a quantity perspective mm. the halfway point of Lost. It is episode 61. Whoa! Yeah. We're halfway there. Yo, wow. John Locke Bon Jovi in the house, oh, folks. Oh, I have no hair. <laughs> I'm in a wheelchair. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a wheelchair. We're so interrupted in the middle of the verse. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so join along if that all sounds fun. But yeah, like just pivoting straight into the Lost Talk. Uh, and I think, like, you know, this is. It's crazy. Par Avion, like this being the like the literal halfway marker in terms of time on the clock, right? Six mm-hmm. hour sixty one. Is that what this is basically? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's tough because you know they always do a weird way of counting. Like you know, is Exodus in three parts or is it in one part? But I do believe from a pure hour perspective. We are 61 hours in out of 122 total hours. That's crazy. That's crazy. So uh, we still got a a decent amount down the hatch. Once it got framed this way, though, I saw this in, um, you know, the the Bible that you and I use, not the the, the long forgotten (laughs) series Bible, uh, but the Bible that you and I use each and every week to to do the podcast. I saw this note in there and it's like, wow, coming into it today. I was feeling like I'm really impressed that we've gotten this far into Lost, and then uh, coming out of this realization, <laughs> I realized we still have twice as uh, we still have. Uh, you know, we're we're only halfway through. We're only fifty percent, so we've got a, a a full other full other half of Lost to get through. And then who knows what the hell we're going to do beyond that? Uh, we joke about what we'll do once we finish the rewatch. Uh, who knows how real any of that is? But uh, we've got a lot to talk about today, Mike, because this is an episode that uh, I think when you think of Par Avion, if you think about it at all, which I would understand if you don't think about it much, uh, it's remembered for a really fun ending. It's Jack Mm -hmm. spiking the football. You remember it as... Maybe you more remember the scene than you remember that it's from this one. Uh, what we heard at the top of this, Mikhail getting pushed through the sonar fence. Uh, sonar pings in his ears. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, re- boy. <laughs> you remember, you remember uh, this being the one where Claire finds out that Christian is her father and the show makes that official. And it kind of does so in like a fairly you know casual way, pra- fairly relaxed major reveal. Uh, so I think those are the things you remember it from. You probably don't remember it so much for like, this is the one where they're trying to find the birds. Uh, But it is that as well. 
They just need to, I mean, they should have just talked to Hurley, right? He'd be like, oh yeah, I just need to go into the jungle. Apparently the birds flock to me because they know my they name. They know my name. I know to one of those and I can dispatch them off. Yeah. Fun episode. You know, it's a good episode of Lost, but I would say like, it's a good episode of Lost. It's interesting. Uh, I mean, it definitely is, to spoil my ranking not too, too much, it isn't my good episode of Lost, quite literal. It's good. It's good. I think it's going to open a larger discussion, though, because I think this is a prime opportunity, Josh, and I alluded to this at the end of the last episode. I think it, it garners some clairversation because this is, we're in a very weird, never before done part of a, a character arc here where we certainly have done away with some of our main cast, right? Looking at you, Boone and Shannon. And this is going to prove to be the final flashback episode proper. Or, or and Claire centric episode in general, but the weird thing is, unlike a Boone or a Shannon or an Anna Lucia, she's not going away. Right, uh, she is going to become a part of two of the next three seasons, even. So I think this is going to serve as a larger dissertation. This being truly the final time that the writers decided to put Claire front and center as to what they decided to do with her. And one of my things that I, I even got even further coming out of this episode is I don't have many bones to pick with Darleton. They created this incredible show. But if there's one, especially now looking back on all this stuff from the vantage point of someone who's a parent, I think unlike Jack Shepard, they dropped the ball mm. on Claire Littleton. And to see how they sort of quote unquote, send a piece of her character off here, like a bird in flight is a very interesting inspection. Well, so you you bring some stuff up that makes me want to like leap ahead to some of the feedback that we've got for this episode. So there's Let's one, do it. there's one from Eric Divestein who wrote in and said, as one of the original main cast members, why has Claire not warranted more flashback episodes? Uh, so put a pin in that. And then another one that comes from Dallin Servo is, what is the biggest impact that the Jack and Claire relationship makes that we know that Christian is both of their fathers? Um, and now let's unpin those things because like <laughs> immediate pinning and unpinning. Well, because like we're gonna get that reveal in this episode and and i turned the question to you um Mm -hmm. but maybe you just kind of gave gave your answer is that like this is this is a ball that like you don't like get into the end zone and you i assume this is what you do when you catch a football and get into the end zone that you spike it you do a dance a little celebratory thing you know it's a cool idea right it's very star wars uh right. Luke and Leia, Jack and Claire. Uh and without the kissing, thankfully. And uh they do they do they do enough with it? Do they do anything that that really really super super matters? I think like some of that judgment I need to reserve for deeper into the rewatch. Right. Until until we get to season 6, uh when Jack and Claire actually have a chance of coming back together. Uh, you know, I think that there are some good scenes that come out of it. I think like uh it it's certainly like when we get into what's going on um with Jack and the church service, like that's a it's a powerful scene. Um Jack's relationship with Aaron off the island, that is powerfully connected because he knows his true connection. Um you know, the uh the scene in i believe it's the last recruit uh in season six where where jack and claire uh have their moment in the jungle but like is was there was there more directly to do with the two of them and i think that that extends to the larger conversation of was there more just to do with claire generally like Mm. was there a um 
you know, she's gone from the entirety of season five in the same way that we get a Richard Alpert episode in season six, finally, were we not owed a maternity leave style flashback telling us exactly what happened to Claire during the time that we last saw her in season four and the time she became Squirrel Mama Claire? You know, like, was there more to do with this character? I think probably the answer is, yeah, I would say mm-hmm. yes. I, I would say that 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 is one of the things that, like, coulda, shoulda, woulda, like maybe pay a little more attention to Claire as a character, but that's kind of baked into Claire from the jump. That's sort of been the Claire Littleton story so, from almost day one. So that's the issue. And let me let me go to Eric Divestein's question first, because I've been doing some thinking about this as well. You know, we have two, technically three flashback episodes for Claire, but two off-island flashback episodes. And, you know, it really made me wonder, okay, is this really a thing of being a parent? Because so many characters in Lost become parents. You know, Jack in season six, that's the whole Kate and Aaron thing. Obviously, it's a big part of Son's arc and Jin's assuming arc had he not stay behind with Claire or stay behind with Son. You know, there, there are so many characters that deal with having children in their lives and how that affects who you are as a person. And I think the issue with Claire honestly stems from the fact that she entered the show pregnant. And I think it's a really interesting idea from a thematic perspective. I think that's what makes Raised by Another such an interesting character episode for her being like, I don't want to raise my baby on this island and her sort of like foisting blame onto herself. But all those examples that I described before, we got to know the characters before they became a parent. Claire unfortunately, whether due to the writer's sake or unfortunately due to just the circumstances that that can come about from painting the picture of a parent, she was not sketched really much outside of her being a mother. And that is something that I have really opened my eyes on now becoming a parent about how I think I sort of look back like, yeah, Claire, she's the mom. She was the pregnant lady on the island. I think that's the stuff they leaned into. But I I think like there, there are, there are aspects of Claire that they did sketch, right? Like there's like the, the, like she's into astrology. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, she's a, she's a good, she's a good writer. Apparently she's an excellent writer. Apparently Uh, she gives a great funeral service. You know, there are, there are things about Claire that I, I think almost, um, the bigger one is like they they have her disappear in season one and then they give her an amnesia storyline and so yeah. like there's just there is a like i i think i i get your point and and i think that they they like lose claire to like kind of like giving her just like the sole identity of being a parent and just being exactly. worried about aaron and that's literally it and i think um I think the flashbacks in this episode are some of the best aspects of this episode. Uh, I really like the flashback scenes. I really like goth Claire. You know, like, yeah, well, listen, we'll, we'll talk about Wig Watch later on, but I talked about this last week. I was, I'm so appreciative of these flashbacks to that point because now we get to see what Claire was like pre-pregnancy. Like you said, now we can remove the, uh, the label of like, okay, she's a mom and like, okay, what was Claire really like? Granted, I don't know how old she's supposed to be here. Obviously, at least 16 or whatever the driving age is in Australia when she's working on her little hot topic tattoo parlor. But I like seeing. You should go pay her a par- visit, Mike. Yeah, exactly. Now I finish up the sleeve. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I'd rather maybe go to Atra than I would uh, go to Claire at this point. That's just because you want a beatdown from uh, Atra's uh, brother and friends. Listen, a Chad beatdown, that's priceless. That's like a MasterCard 
commercial from hell. Uh, but, but I think that, you know, I, I think it exposed new parts of Claire's character that I was so excited to see. And that's why to that point, it does suck that we don't see any more. I mean, I do wonder, I guess assuming, and we'll get into this, I think, with the Christian stuff, this was the last time that she ever saw Christian Shepard save when she thinks she sees Christian in the jungle in season four. But I do wonder if there's a universe where there are more Claire flashback episodes, maybe almost like an Anthony Cooper situation, like he keeps popping up in her life. You know, a lot of time passes between raven-haired Claire and the blonde Claire who's pregnant and says goodbye to her mom before she leaves, uh, you know, before she gets on the plane. And so there could have been more opportunities for him to come into her life. Cause I could imagine some people would be like, well, if there are more clear flashbacks, what would they talk about? I love to see as much as we hate Thomas. How did she meet him? What's the relationship with her aunt? How does this, this reveal with Christian Shepherd complicate things? Cause now to answer Dallin Servo's question, I think the Christian Shepherd reveal was something, I don't know if this is a hot take, I think it was really exciting on paper, but I think it was badly executed. And I think it's for the reasons that you stated, like, there are going to be snatches of it, but when your endgame relationship that takes more importance is Claire and Kate over Claire and Jack, it makes the revelation feel a bit more of a nothing burger than it probably should be, considering how, at the time, it was seen as one of the biggest character connections yet. Um, You know what's what's occurring to me is is there's i think so in season season you know season three is going to be our final hurrah for flashbacks so Mm -hmm. you know but but not completely right because season four does have flashback episodes there are flashbacks technically season five does with like miles yeah with miles like they, they still exist and so there's still opportunities to do it and so it's not just like i think season six could have had a really great claire episode that shows us what happened to her in season five um but also that um season four had like a fairly prime spot to do a great claire episode um where i i would maybe consider that cabin fever which is Mm. a john Locke flashback that shows just like all of the ways in which john Locke's life sucked tell me something i don't know (laughs) um you know uh like like just like giving us a bit of that and really i i don't know i'm lower on cabin fever than most we'll we'll see when we get there but like that feels to me like that could be a claire flashback episode uh because one of the big reveals at at the end of that episode is christian shepherd in the cabin with claire in the cabin and so what's the episode of like how that happens how did they get there is that mm-hmm. an episode within season four that is put that is doing um you know flashbacks from claire following who we come to learn as the man in black on the island to claire having more interactions with christian um maybe even during like the, the final trip to australia for christian you know yeah. what's the other side of that argument in the rain that anna lucia comes and grabs christian for is right. claire involved could, could in she that? could she have like what are her complicated feelings about the way that he visited her in his last days did she know that he died quite possibly and how that affects her and her ultimate decision you know she is pregnant at the time and trying to figure out what to do with the baby could that have been affected by the fact that she has, you know, an illegitimate father? There's, there, there, there's, so, there's so, there's so much, you know, the, the whole idea of like the raised by another stuff and like Aaron can't be raised by another no matter what. Like that, that is, I know, like a mystery that some people feel like it's, it's not, uh, fully 
you know, capitalized on. Um, and I, and I think that that kind of just extends to Claire overall. And, and one of the things about Par Avion in this episode, which again, I think it's a good episode of Lost. I enjoy it. It's an episode of Lost. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think I ended up rating it again just to, to jump around. Uh, I think I rated it exactly the same as I rated the whole truth, uh, in, in the end, which is another one of those episodes. It's like, it's a good episode with a great ending. Uh, right. and that, that's how I feel about, about this one. But one of the things that I kept thinking about is even though like they give her like a really slight, kind of on island story um emily de raven is very charming uh and i think that there was a really compelling character storyline um that was left on the field with with claire overall uh mm-hmm. i think that that they express somebody here in the times that they do pay attention to her they express somebody who is fascinating and they express somebody here who like we can kind of talk about it even in the context of this episode because they get into Rousseau right like they get yeah. into some of the things with Rousseau yeah, and then we talked about this during maternity leave that she's the new so yeah. she's the one who becomes Rousseau in season six so like they they start going there and I just th- I just don't think that they go there enough and whether that's because Lost becomes like too top heavy in certain areas mm. or what I, I like I think I think maybe the Charlie death also doesn't help it that I think another thing that they do with her character to your point is I think once they sort of tie tie her more into Charlie then she becomes so you know tied into that season two stuff in particular say maternity leave that it really becomes like Claire and Charlie so then when Charlie's out of it you could deal with a really interesting storyline of like what does Claire do post Charlie and maybe that ties into a which bit they of her... don't really explore frankly exactly like there's yeah. maybe that that informs a bit of her psychosis in season four but it's not really informed or it's not really explicit it's they something ex- you have to put together they explore it like a little bit in the season four premiere is my memory of it and then like you know she's pretty pretty much <laughs> not really talking about Charlie all that much anymore after that um so yeah I think that they just make some they make some choices with Claire that that I I don't fully understand. I think they kind of gave up on the character to a certain degree. Uh, like, you know, even having her completely removed from season five, like in, in entirely gone. Right. And, th- and this was not a triple A or a Cynthia Watros thing. Like Emily DeRavin wanted to be on the no, show. I believe. Yeah. Well, they, well, they end up having her for the entirety of the final season. So clearly like they still had Claire plans and like she was on board to be back. Um, but for whatever reason, they just feel like they don't have a story to tell with her. And I just don't, especially with the um, the man in black storyline really coming into the fore starting in season five, that I feel like you can you could have Claire there in bits and pieces. I don't know. I know we're talking a lot about a lot, frankly, surrounding Claire before we even get into the episode. But it's just it's hard to watch this episode and not have um, especially this being Claire's final centric episode. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to not have a lot of this stuff on on the mind, especially because I think the episode begins in a really evocative way. And so, and so let's get mm. into it is that we, you know, we start with a flashback. We open on an eye because of course we open on an eye and it's another crash, right? It's another accident. Um, and I think that the way that they render this is brutal. Uh, like yeah, the, oh my God. The shards of glass in Claire's hair. Like they immediately let you know that this is like a Claire that we have not met yet with the goth hair and say what you will about the wig watch and stuff. I think it's effective for me. Uh, it gives me this feeling of her being like very young and very different from the Claire that we know right now, more independent. Um, but she like literally has to like climb through the shattered dash. Yeah, poor the, the, Carol Littleton. I don't know what, if it was, she was not wearing her seatbelt or something, but she got flat out ejected through the windshield. And, and so like, they tell you a lot with just the imagery and it is vicious. It's very, very, very effective. And I feel like it, it really sets you 
um, in a, in a place to, to be like really nervous throughout the entire Claire flashback. Um, it's a very, it's a very powerful, there's a lot of like implied violence in this episode. Uh, yeah, which I think also, again, is also supposed to inform like why Claire herself is a bit of a broken person. Cause again, we haven't really explored that. We more so explore why she's a broken person on island. Cause you know, she got kidnapped by Ethan. She had to have a child on the island, but raised by another, Thomas was a douche that walked out on her. But this is really exploring like, wow, it's not as bad as John Locke, but Claire has had a pretty effed up life. Up she's to this had point. a tough life, tough life. Uh, but she's going to have a great day, Mike, because on the island, she wakes up to a fruit plate. Oh, look, Karen, your mom has finally decided to wake up. Mm. Oh. <sighs> anyway, I could get you to sleep in was to borrow the midget. And uh, what is all this? An aperitif of mysterious island fruit before the breakfast picnic I have set up in your honor. Short walk down the beach. What's gotten into you, Charlie? Sorry? Just you've been so depressed all week and now it's breakfast in bed and picnics. I woke up this morning, I thought it's time to stop feeling sorry for yourself and seize the day and... I can't think of anyone I would rather do some day seizing with than you. So, what do you say? Let's drop the cherub off with Auntie Son and Uncle Jin and you and I go for a little stroll. I would love to. (laughs) So, this episode, I've heard a lot of people say that this is evocative of season one much like we sort of talked about with trisha tanaka is dead and i think this clip is a good example of that right like this feels like a lot of rat-a-tat banter that charlie and claire engage with in season one the the peanut butter conversation for instance it's clear that trisha tanaka has very clearly turned around charlie's mood they've turned the ignition key and now he is humming like a motor seizing the day carpe diem as he would say that you know they're going to use Jin's net that he'd use to catch some carpe diem to catch some birds <laughs> later on right but it's, it's it's a fun setup for you know what's going to be a very interesting episode for the relationship that's going to essentially define a lot of claire's arc for the rest of season three yeah uh i i like it it's cute it's just like if the rest of the episode was just like the two of them on a picnic uh that would have big Tr- trisha tanaka energy for me yeah though I, I will also say that picnics they're not as cursed as the sex tent but they're probably next in line of like anytime you go on a picnic it's bad news and maybe that's why desmond we'll talk about later yeah. decides to stop the picnic he's like i've seen those episodes yeah, i know what happens so when good. you go on a picnic yeah i don't need to see the future to know this is bad charlie i keep <gasps> seeing you dying yeah. and you're choosing to go on a picnic what have the you hell, seen two man? for the road <laughs> yeah, or do no harm it's no it's no good man, much harm will come to you uh so so all that's going on meanwhile in the jungle the inspectors rousseau plus mikhail are on their way to the barracks and there's some squabbling over how to get there john locke man my guy john locke is having an episode <laughs> he has this yeah this is a this is a tough it's, it's tough to say like bad episode because it's done purposefully right and i think this is also going yeah. to really much like we've talked about in season one i think this is a really good setup for the man from tallahassee next week in terms of locke 
despite being a quote-unquote team player now that he's got his groove back, is still really striking out on his own. But man, he is stubborn AF in this episode. Yeah, big time. Uh, and he has he has plans. You know, he's heard about, uh, he's going to hear about the submarine. He's got the C4 in his backpack. Like, this dude's thinking ahead, and it ain't good. Uh, so he gets mad at Saeed, like, you're following a map? And Saeed's like, you're following a stick! <laughs> Oh boy, and that's the thing is like, Locke, I think your, you know, your Mishigash can work on some people, but the one person you don't mess with when it comes to this is Saeed Jarrah. Saeed Jarrah, man, come on. He has, he has like followed you to a certain extent and giving you like a, an inch and you have tried to take a mile and yeah. now Saeed's like, what are you doing? You thought you'd get all this stuff past me? No, no, no. No more nonsense, Mr. John Locke. I don't think so. I don't think so. So they're also arguing about, arguing about whether or not they should just kill Mikhail. Uh, you think we should shoot him like a dog? John says, no, I like dogs. It's just funny. Uh, and so Mikhail apparently is like, no, you're going in the right direction. Just keep going. Just keep going. Uh, so they're going to keep going. Meanwhile, uh, a really nice array of food at the breakfast picnic. Maybe some hot milk, I would assume. Ooh, that, that is. Oh, oh, oh God. That is warm <gasps> milk would be my guess. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's like condensed milk or something. You know, those things that come in a can that you don't need to refrigerate. Uh, like sweetened condensed milk is just like in a jar. Like that, that is going to be some hot viscous shit, man. Yeah, like, maybe Michael should have been shooting at that. I think that's clearly easier to waste than the ranch in the middle of the jungle. Uh, so they're about to sit down when Desmond swings by. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sorry we don't have this sound clip because I think it's really funny how Desmond's like, "Oh well, here I am with a rifle. Thought maybe you'd want to go hunting with me, Charlie." And Charlie's like, "No, I'm going to have a picnic with Claire." He's like, "Oh yeah, well, uh, pretty sure." It would be much better if you went hunting with me because, Charlie, of all the things you could do today, hunting with me might be the best thing that you could do. And it's just like <laughs> Desmond is Desmond is hysterical in this episode. It's uh, so tough because I'm, I'm ultimately I'm so glad that he ends up telling Claire because I feel like. In another universe, we could have had a whole season where Desmond's like, I can't tell anybody. Yeah, I know. And like, and that'll lead to so many, like, you know, misunderstandings. But to, it, it's worth it for these, like, two minutes of comedy of Desmond <laughs> trying to be wink, wink, nudge, nudge right over Claire's head. Which, to your, his point, it ended up being fine right now because Claire just sees the birds and her mind is not focused on this weird conversation whatsoever. Yeah, she is looking over her head and she sees birds. They're coming south. The sea birds, they're migrating. And she sees a glint of something. She's like, I got an idea. I can get us saved. I can get us all rescued. Uh, and it turns out that Claire uh, watched a lot of nature programs uh, mm-hmm. with, with her with her mother back in the day. Another reason why Charlie loves her, I'm assuming. I would assume so as well. And so she's like, all right, Sun and Jin, we need nets. We need fish. We need buckets. We're going to catch birds. We're going to send a message via carrier pigeon. And that is how we are going to get rescued uh and so everyone's like oh this is an interesting idea i kind of like this except for charlie who is looking at desmond who's still lurking very oddly with a (laughs) rifle nearby and charlie's like uh uh maybe this is stupid she's like why she's like uh i don't know uh you watch nature programs does that make you an expert and it's like hey dominic monaghan let's hope this uh clip doesn't come back to haunt you sir uh but he's like don't waste your time whatever happened to seizing the day charlie's like i don't know this is not something i'd like to seize so he walks away and now charlie and claire are in a little bit of a tiff 
Yeah, hopefully when people were reviewing Donna McMonaghan's Nature Show, nobody took the clip, don't see the point, that Charlie mm. says, and just attach that as their entire review. To another reason why uh, uh, Par Avion has not gotten a lot of play, and I'm sure he's grateful for that. Um, so that's what's going on here. She's a little annoyed. There's a great moment where Sawyer's about to call Claire Barbie, uh, yeah. but he calls her Claire instead because he can't use nicknames. And actually, you know what? Claire sort of is the Barb, right? Because she disappears. Yeah. And unfortunately, <laughs> she doesn't wind up in the upside down. Justice but she might for as well Claire. Get. Justice for Claire. She, she winds up in the sideways, uh, I guess, from a perspective. I mean, it's interesting, too, because as much excitement as these characters show, and while I'm not entirely against, like, hey, let's go back to sort of the survival aspect to it. I don't know, Josh. I couldn't help but think of SOS when I was watching this of like, OK, now once again, yeah. another character said, oh, we should be exploring forms of rescue. And not to say again that like, oh, we can't do this storyline again. But I couldn't help but have this episode in the back of my head reverberating and particularly why they're so gung-ho about this and less so about bernard's sos signal from that's last interesting season. that's interesting um maybe because hauling rocks is, or coconuts is a terrible job but like setting up fishing traps gin and sun are like yeah that's our wheelhouse we're good yeah we're like, maybe maybe claire's a better leader than bernard was i i think that that seems very likely i think maybe uh <laughs> you're on you're on to something there um flashback time and what's there to say other than there's this police officer who's like Hey, Claire, so, uh, did you do it? Is this you? Is this your fault? And she's like, I didn't do anything. I was driving. It's like, yeah, well, listen, uh, it's my job to grill you on, on stuff like this when there's a fatality. She's like, my mom's not dead. He's like, Ooh, sorry, I misread the report. Uh, there are, I would want to like dock points from both law and order. And I think maybe medicine for the first time, because we'll get, you know, we'll get to this later when, uh, when the doctor comes in to give the diagnosis of coma, just like, Everyone representing institutions in this episode are so blunt and mean and arguably not very good at their jobs. Yeah, that this poor dude Claire sucks. has just been besodden by so many people. This dude sucks. And obviously, like a lot of the episode is dealing with like Claire's feelings of like, is this all my fault? Uh, right. You know, and feel and feelings of uh, of of uh of of guilt although i think maybe the themes are a little bit mismanaged as well in in this episode but right whatever. yeah i think the idea of like again because it's it's it deals more with the christian shepherd of it all it does sort of they, they sort of almost make the whole idea of like guilt and blame secondary save that as final monologue as, yeah as soon as he shows up yeah um all right so meanwhile uh in the jungle uh, we're at that one little stretch of riverbed that seems to everybody that always seems to find. Everyone has heart to hearts with. <laughs> yeah, so it's Kate and Russo this time. Why aren't we listening? Can I ask you something? I told you that your daughter was living with them. And you haven't asked me a single question about her. You haven't... Your friend. Jack. Do you care about him? Yes? Imagine 60 years from now. You told he was still alive. But in your heart, you know that he wouldn't remember you. He wouldn't know you. He wouldn't even know that you ever cared about him. I haven't asked you questions about my daughter. Because I do not want to know the answers.
really, I really like that scene. Yeah, me uh, too. It's small, but I think it's a good check-in with Rousseau, who was literally pretty absent from last episode, save, you know, coming in at the last second. And I think it's a really interesting question. It's a really interesting inspection of her character, because on paper, this is something that she's always wanted. 16 years since her child was stolen mm-hmm. away, and yeah. she's been searching for her, thinking about her every day since. And now she's like, I'm nervous. Well, yeah, that's the thing, is that there's complications. In that now that it's happened, it's like, oh, crap, this is nice. But also, she doesn't know who I am. (laughs) I thought you were going to, but also, shit, I'm nervous. Well, yeah, Uh, and she's, well, but I think, you know, there's there's a point that she has no idea who I am. I really have no idea who she is. Yeah. She was stolen as a baby. I don't know what she's been doing. So there's nervousness there, but there's also, like, a palpable anxiety as to, you know, almost like uh, you, when your wish is granted, like, it, it's not everything that it seems. You've wanted this thing for so long, but I can imagine there is some some fright that it's not going to be what you always imagine it to be, that you'd have, like, a loving embrace. Instead, it's, oh, here's the person who happens to be my... It's almost like giving up a child for adoption, you know, and then meeting them 16 years after the fact. Yeah, you're connected with each other, but do you really know each other? And I think that Rousseau being surprisingly vocal about that is very on brand for her character and I think adds a new dimension to what, albeit is going to, you know, not really hit its moment until the season three finale, but still a good thing to put a pin in. You know what else is interesting about this is the situation that Rousseau is sketching out for Kate about Jack. Imagine uh, meeting Jack again a few years from now Mm. and you find out that he's still alive, um, but he doesn't remember you. He doesn't know you. He doesn't blah, blah, blah. There's a version of this that happens for Kate, except it's with Sawyer and it's not 16 years, right? It's three years. Uh, But Kate's going to like come back and see Sawyer and they had such a powerful thing. uh, And then they're going to be gone from each other's lives for years and then they come back and so much life has changed they have different people who they're prioritizing at that point that like a lot of that old way is gone uh and it is like a nerve a nervous energy uh when kate sees sawyer for that first time in those first few days that they're interacting um so i i like that there's like whether it's intentional foreshadowing or not, and I would, I would lean towards not. Um, I just think that there is some resonance to this for Kate, especially, uh, the, and like even when like she goes to, to meet Claire again, you know, she comes back to the island mm-hmm. specifically to find Claire to reunite Aaron with her mother. Um, that when she sees Claire finally, like she's going to be so happy to see Claire. And then Claire's going to look up at Kate and be like, I'm going to kill you for taking my child, basically. Um, so I think a lot of this is is going to reverberate throughout Kate's storyline, what Rousseau is talking about here. Well, even on top of that, look at something like the incident, why she was so promptly against the whole idea of let's reset the timeline so that we we land in LAX and none of this happens. And this talk gets talked about a lot over the episode as to how each character stands philosophically yeah. with that idea that I think there is something to Kate's character as to like, the fear of being forgotten in a certain perspective. And so I do think this, I don't think Rousseau obviously knows this, but it ends up unintentionally, I, I can imagine, really hitting home with her. Yeah. Um, all right. So they keep walking through the jungle. Rousseau is like kind of walking away from the rest of the pack, which is kind of funny. Uh, she's like got the high ground. Everyone else is on the low. Uh, and uh, Kate has some questions for Mikhail, which leads to a, a rather awkward conversation. So how'd you get here? How'd you get onto this island? Don't waste your breath. Whatever he says will be a lie. I was recruited when I was 24. I was approached by a man... I didn't ask you when, I asked you how. 
They brought me on the submarine. So your people, they can just come and go whenever they want? Go, yes. But two weeks ago, our underwater beacon stopped emitting its locator signal. There was an event, an electromagnetic pulse. It would be impossible to come back. Why would you want to come back? You would not understand. Join me. I misspoke. What I meant to say is, you're not capable of understanding. And why am I not capable? Kate, because you are not on the list. What list? The man who brought me here, who brought all of my people here, he is a magnificent man. Ben so magnificent, then why did he need one of us to save him? Ben. Ben is not. I will try to make this as simple as I can. You are not on the list because you are flawed. Because you are angry. And weak. And frightened. The more I learn about your people, the more I suspect you're not as omniscient as you have us believe. Don't speak to us as if you know us. Of course I don't know you, Saeed Jara. How could I? And you, Kate Austin, are a complete stranger to me. But you, John Locke, you I might have a fleeting memory of, but I must be confused, because the John Locke I know was hey. perhaps... <laughs> hey, don't dox him! <laughs> <laughs> Don't out John Locke. Yeah, he spent, he spent cool. a good amount of days keeping this a secret, except to a couple people. That's not cool, man. Uh, Mikhail with the flex, right? And Saeed being, you don't know anything about it. It's like, oh yeah, no, Saeed Jarrah, I've got no yeah. idea who you were yeah, kidding. It's like, Austin damn it, I, I shouldn't have been thinking about that cat. I should have killed him. Uh, oh, that's right. Shit, shit, he was right Because that's the, the thing, thing is that Mikhail is using the, the real estate that he still has. He still has some information above them. Now, now let's talk about, though... Legitimacy of that. Let's continue our discussion from last week as to lies and truths within Mikhail's statements. How truthful do you think is his entire thing about the, oh, there's a list and you aren't on it for these specific reasons? I think it's truthful insofar as Mikhail believes it. I think it's truthful insofar as like the company line that Ben touts is Jacob, 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 this, Jacob, that Jacob told me to do this. So you got to do this for Jacob. And it's a, it's effectively a cult under his leadership. Right. And like there are certain people within it who like Juliet are starting to feel like no Ben's an awful dude. And like, this is not the guy who should be at the top of the food chain. And then there's people like Mikhail who are like anything for leader, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, and, and I think that like when he's saying that, um, Ben isn't the magnificent man. Um, I think that like for him, it's like, but Ben is the conduit to the magnificent man. Uh, he's the guy, he speaks for the magnificent man. Uh, and so it is, uh, it's very like fanatical in, mm. in that way. So I buy this from Mikhail that he's a company man for sure. He's a loyalist. Yeah. I mean, maybe he was serving them Kool Aid instead of iced tea last week. I, I think it's an interesting parallel as well, where last season we got, oh yeah, you don't want to talk with our leader. Oh yeah, the guy with the beard. That's not our leader. We get a similar thing here with like, oh, Ben is your leader. Well, it's actually not Ben. It's actually this other guy. It's a very anime-like trope, right? Of like, I'm not the big bad. This is the true big bad. I mean, it's interesting because maybe there's like, uh, I don't know, a separate list separate from the, the Jacob stuff of it all. Because I do remember in season six, like, I think Jacob says 
at a certain perspective, like I chose these candidates because they are specifically flawed and Kate would therefore be on the list because she is quite literally flawed, but maybe Ben made his own personal choices. Maybe he has his own like fake list going something like a, like a survivor boot list, you know, mm. like he's not the spoiler, <laughs> but he wants to get rumors out there. Yeah. Um, but I also love, if we're talking about more foreshadowing of Kate, I love, uh, Mikhail, you know, talking about like, oh, people aren't able to come back to that. And Kate's like, why would anyone want to come back here? Which is her MO, uh, as soon as, you know, one of the last scenes here in season three, it's like, why the hell do you want to go back there? Yeah. So I, I think it, it's going to be a nice, uh, you know, attitude that Kate is going to bring all the way off the island for quite some time. Maybe this was the moment that Jacob doesn't bring up later. It's like, Actually, the moment I crossed your name out is when you said, like, why would anyone want to come back? <laughs> yeah, like, that really hurt my feelings. I, I so. heard that. I heard that. So, I've got uh, very I good hearing. But I would say, if, if whoever made this list, calling Saeed weak and frightened, like, what if, what feeds have you been watching, man? That is not Saeed Jarrah. Look, they are human beings, and they are all weak and frail in their own ways. There are there are ways in which all of these people are fractured and broken and problematic and, you know, dealing with their demons and stuff. But uh, try looking in a mirror, Mikhail. Uh, just give give it a give it a close. I try look. to, but I can only see half of it. I can only see half the the mirror. Uh, all right, they find the pylons. Here's the fence, the sonar fence. Uh, uh, a sonic weapon yeah. is right here in front of them. It's a sonic weapon. Um, all right, so down back at the beach. Claire and Jin building the net. Jin speaking some some rudimentary English. He's he's yeah. getting along. He's getting by really well. I I do I I do sort of question. I mean, I guess I don't know how else you could catch birds using this net, but it seemed like they just set up like a soccer goal instead yeah. of just, just sort of propping the net up vertically. Dude, I am not going to question their tactics. It it I don't works. Know, maybe I have to watch more nature shows. It works if not for Desmond, which we'll get <laughs> into in a moment. Uh, I just wanted to take a moment to give some props to Jin and Sun, who are so on board with Claire's plan. They're like, yeah, we'll spend the whole day doing this, Claire. This is fun. Uh, well, and they were I also the like idea, they were going to be on babysitting duty, too. So they're just Well, like, that's the thing is I think the alternative is to watching Aaron like, we're done this for the umpteenth time. I don't want to do that anymore. Maybe that's another thing why the Claire storyline sort of like goes is because Aaron becomes such a big importance. And we talked about this with Raised by Another. Then now he's just been relegated to like, who's going to watch Aaron? Let's just foist him off upon another character and not deal with him directly. Like maternity leave until season five is really going to be like one of the last big Aaron-centric scenes. And so it's weird to be like, how concerned we were about the child in the first season now sort of have him as an afterthought in the episode proper is is an odd shift. Yeah. I just I just love uh Jin and Sun working so closely yeah. with, with Claire and Well it's interesting because also uh Sun and Claire were both FOKs. They were both friends of Kate in season one. And now Kate has sort of been off doing her own things. And so them finding company with each other, I think, is very interesting. It's sort of like uh when George and Elaine have to interact in Seinfeld, you know, what happens when Jerry isn't there? I'm just going to let FOK go by. Um, <laughs> Sun is, uh, she's saying, like, this was my mom's worst nightmare, that I'd be, uh, cu- you know, cutting up bait, that I'd be married to the son of a fisherman. To the son of a fisherman. fisherman. Yes, yeah. I was just thinking it too. <laughs> the only uh, pig who could ever love me. <laughs> was the son of a fisherman. <laughs> uh, and so uh, Claire's going to say, oh, well, my mom used to be a librarian. She's like, used to be. Uh, and we go back and we find out in the in the flashback claire's awful aunt uh who's just uh aunt Lindsay. yeah i don't know i i'm debating and maybe by the end of this i'll give Lindsay an lvp point i wasn't sure if i should give her like 
sympathy because she is in a very tough situation. Her sister is in a coma, but yeah, she is very brusque well, she's and unfair like, to Claire uh, she's here. She's like, oh, how dare you go home and take a shower? It's like, what do you want from her? Yeah, there, 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 are, there are showers, I suppose, available in a hospital, but they are awkward. She wants to go home and get to change her clothes? Like, let her go. Uh, so she's terrible, and then uh, the doctor comes and is like, yeah, we don't really know what's going on here. Yeah, this she- doctor is terrible. I, I Listen, maybe a medical correspondent can follow up with this, but like, this dude, I know that Christian said he has like an Australian correspondent. Maybe he, this guy's on the same level as Jack Shepard when it comes to bedside manner, because this dude has terrible people skills. Um, I would also, I, I have no idea the legality behind any of this stuff of like, uh, Christian Shepard is going to pay for everything, but he wants to be confidential. Like, yeah, it, like, I don't think you're I, allowed I, to I do no, that. I, I have no idea. Is that not something that would need to be disclosed here? Like, I, I just don't know if, like, the, is the anonymous benefactor thing in this situation? Uh, like, some, like, if, especially if, like, if Claire or Lindsay has like power of attorney, like do they not yeah, no, get to know? Medical funds should not be the equivalent of like a bartender gives you a drink and is like that man down at the bar well, said this rounds on yeah, him. I've never, yeah. Here's the tequila and tonic. Like, Drinks I'm, on him. Yeah, everybody with him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have no idea. I've never been in this situation. Somebody with expertise, we'd love to hear from you. But yeah, anyway, and also Lostpedia actually says uh, it is unlikely that Carol Littleton will be forced to fund any medical expenses as a result of a car accident in Australia. The cost of any medical expenses would be borne by CTP, or Medicare. Naturally, any insurance company would seek to limit their exposure to cost, but Medicare is obliged to fund the life-threatening medical care of a quote-unquote public patient, and CTP covers the medical care of any vehicle accident victim. So maybe that's also a symbol of, like, American writers writing Australian situations is because of our own healthcare situation, we could not imagine a major car accident being covered by the public. Yeah. And I'll le- and just like FOK, I'm just gonna leave that right there because I th- that's fucked up for sure. Uh, so back on the island, Jin uh, and Claire and Son, they've got the trap, they got the bird, they're so close. And then Desmond, this this Desmond is just shooting off shots. He's like, "Oh, you guys are here. I'm so sorry, and uh, I'm so sorry." And, and, I, and I do love Claire. This is a good Claire episode on Alan because. She's immediately onto his bullshit. He's like, right? What is your deal? She's like, Where's the boar? And he's like, Oh, I lost it. I I'm lost not a good it. shot. I lost it. Claire's like, What's your deal? Why don't you want me catching these freaking birds? And this is like, I don't know. I can't tell you. Uh, so Claire is rip shit right now. Um, all right. Then meanwhile, at the sonar fence, we've already heard this is, this is the start of the, the episode. It's the security perimeter. It's the alarm system. It hasn't functioned in years, says Mikhail. Like, and, like everything else on this island. And then, hint, hint. And then clearly, was that a little kind of Jackula I hear? Oh, uh, hint, hint. <laughs> uh, and then they, they throw, Locke decides, like, all right, well, let's, we, uh, we test it. And so he takes Mikhail and shoves him through. See, and- this is, this is so interesting because, again, speaking to, because I want to get into the Mikhail of it all, because this is a, a long held theory that I, I want to present. But looking at this again as a setup for the man from Tallahassee, this is such a fantastic comparison. Because Locke throwing Mike Mikhail through the pylons, not too dissimilar from Anthony Cooper throwing Locke out the window that we're going to see next episode. It's this idea of like, 
I'll sacrifice somebody if, if, you know, I think that he's about to give me away. There's this really interesting scene where, despite Mikhail getting interrupted about Locke's big secret, he glares at him and smiles at him afterwards like, yeah, Johnny boy, I know your big secret and I, you know, I have this leverage over you. So it's so interesting that Locke is showing signs, much like Sawyer did, of like repeating the cycle of the man that he once hated. But we're going to see how that impacted him as, as, you know, as recent as next week. Locke is prone to anger, and I think especially where his father is concerned, he gets very triggered. So, you know, maybe this was it was a trigger point for him. But I would also say John Locke later on is going to be told, kill your dad and you're one of us, and he won't be able to do it. He has to enlist Sawyer in the cause. John Locke has no trouble throwing Mikhail through a sonic fence right now, and later on is going to have no trouble shooting uh, or, or stabbing a woman Na- yeah, Naomi. In, the, in, in the back. So John Locke being a, a very selective murderer... Uh, right now, uh, selective is yeah. very, very. Hey, you know what? He's a very choosy, very choosy. Yeah, he, he's like, oops, sorry about sorry. that. Sorry, as wet. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Johnny. So okay, so here's my here's my theory, Josh. So they throw, know- Mikhail, but they throw Mikhail through the fence. He goes, thank you, and you start seeing like the blood is oozing out of his ears. Mike, I don't know if you stopped down and saw it. Like it, it, it is like uh, it is like a blood bag. It is like a squib that is shooting out of. Of, uh, Andrew Divoff's ear. There's like yeah. a, a small, tiny, thin little geyser of blood yeah. that is juicing out of his ear if you stop and you, you look down. And then oh, he drops down, down on the ground. Count Jacula is really excited. I was going to say, don't talk it. to his city. He's going to come out of his coffin one week early. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> He's, good evening. Uh, very excited about that. Uh, and uh, Mikhail, for all intents and purposes, it would appear that he is deceased. So here's the thing. It's it's weird. We're going to talk about the next scene. And, you know, when Kate's going to be inspecting Mikhail, he, you could see Andrew Divoff breathing. And that has been sort of headcanned to say, well, he was actually alive the whole time because we're going to see him pop up in DOC, uh, the man behind the curtain, and finally through the looking glass. Or was it him? Something that I would like to keep in all of our heads, Josh, and hopefully not come spilling out like a geyser of fake blood I have personally always held the belief that Mikhail Bakunin did indeed die thanks to the sonic fence. The Mikhail Bakunin that we see from DOC onwards was not Mikhail Bakunin, but indeed the smoke monster. Yeah, so you've 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 mentioned this kind of in passing a few times that you you really like the idea that Mikhail dies here and that every time we see Mikhail again in season three. He's the monster. And I've, I've been really interested to get to this point because it's not something I've ever really considered for myself. And every time you've talked about it, I've been like, really? Uh, but I, I want to entertain it. I want to entertain it. I want, and I want to see, uh, I want to see you pointed out along the way. And I'm looking forward to watching these episodes with that as a possible interpretation in mind because I've never done it. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that that's going to be fun, like to think about, well, like if he's the smoke monster, why doesn't he just like, smoke monster his his way into the looking glass why isn't he why why is he doing any form of deliberation at the looking glass uh so you'll have to convince me on some of this but i'm open to it i'm 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 open to being convinced i'm open to you know fan fiction theorizing that this is the the smoke monster here uh for me, I have always taken it, and I and I saw it again this time that Andrew Divoff is very much breathing uh, when you uh, when when they do like a look at him later on. Like that man is 
fully breathing. <laughs> then then that might have to be a doc on Kate then for being like, well, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with him. He's definitely <laughs> dead. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. So let's put a pin in that and we can unpin that and yeah. repin it. And well, unpin I, I it think it's going go. to be a while from now, right? Because not until again, yep. DOC, which I think is what, like 18 or 19 that we get that we get him popping up again. Yeah, we've got we've got time to to get into all of that. Um, so post Mikhail's death, uh, there is some some tense conversation that's going to take place. Looks like he suffered a cerebral hemorrhage. Why did you do that? We needed him. They were never going to trade him for Jack. You don't know that. Well, you don't know it either. What we do know is that he shot one of his own people who didn't want to be in this exact situation. So I'm going to stick with my opinion. Yeah, well, we could have discussed it. Well, nobody asked me about it when we brought him along in the first place. All right. Pardon me for not knowing that they had a, 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 a sonic weapon fence. I didn't know he was going to die. How would I know that? Why are you really here? You here for Jack? Why else would I be here? We'll talk about this later. Fine by me. Just tell me how we're going to go through this. We're not going to go through it. We're going over it. Saeed, where's the axe? It's in his pack. No, wait a minute, I got it. Here, I got it. I thought you didn't know there was any C4. Well, I stand corrected. Why did you take it? never know when a little C4 might come in handy. You'll have to do better than that. Josh, John Locke doesn't have just egg on his face this episode. He's got a whole damn omelet with that scene. The frittata. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. One whole egg, white egg frittata just dripping all over him as he gets called out for this he's like well nobody told me about bringing mikhail along he gets caught for complaining about the c4 earlier when it's found in his bag like this is just yeah. a bad episode is for this him. is this one of the single worst john locke looks is this scene like he's just like well you didn't know that he wasn't gonna die you didn't know like you don't know kate like it's just, <laughs> just like the what about is from john Locke here are very very funny in like a way where it does not look very flattering for him yeah i don't know i i can even get past that it's the, the c4 in the pack that it's, it's like as bad as when uh you know it turns out that jack put the dynamite in his own pack instead of kate's in exodus of like Man, you see right through it, and he has no excuse. He is caught red-handed, and now everything is just up in the air, and he's like, well, you know, uh, at least he didn't do with a how did that get in there type of thing. Yeah. Like, oh, Mikhail must have put oh, it in he there. he must have put it there. They framed me. I've been framed. But while for, I was playing pardon me chess, for not knowing had- that there is a, 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 a C4. Yeah. In that. That's also, I love Terry O'Quinn's delivery of that, that he almost like goes half gold bloom there for a second. Yeah. yeah. I, maybe he's like, when I was playing the computer game, uh, maybe Mikhail had access to my backpack at that point. Uh, which, by the way, uh, Jake Prow had written in and said the computer's name, it's got to be Chester. 
Oh, Lord. Uh, yeah, they're probably spreadsheets of all the wink games that's won and lost. While he was playing with Chester. While I was playing with Chester, Mikhail must have... He framed me. It was a frame job. Good thing we killed him. He's trying to yeah. sow discontent oh, and too bad we ranks. Can't, too bad we can't ask him. It's not like he's breathing or anything yeah, right now. he's super dead. He's Do you, super I, dead. Maybe in another version of Lost, Josh, maybe written by a different group of writers, the Sonic Weapon Fence does not kill Mikhail, but in, turn him into a blue hedgehog that mm-hmm. runs really fast. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like that. Uh, Mikhail suddenly, I love chili dogs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Who would be Dr. Robotnik then with Locke? Be Dr. Dr. Rolokbotnik? Uh, Rolokbotnik. Yeah, I could see it. He could just, uh, he's a mustache. Yeah, just give him the stash and he could do it. All right, so back at the beach, Claire reads Charlie for filth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what so, I wrote in my notes she is goes, that. Charlie, you ass! I, I realize that uh, maybe it's because I played Among Us recently, but this feel this episode feels like a game of Among Us where Charlie and Desmond are the imposters, uh-huh. and they're like trying to be co-conspirators. I saw as you venting. Yeah, exactly. Like Charlie, I just saw you venting. No, that no. didn't happen at all. It was Jin and Son. I think no. they're looking pretty shady right now. Yeah, no way, no Des- way. Desmond sus. Yeah, He's Sussmond. Yeah, Sussmond. Uh, but she's like, you know what, Charlie? You gotta, you gotta leave. You didn't, you didn't even seize the day with me. You're lying. You're a liar. Yeah, some newsy like, you are, Charlie. I love when she goes, uh, yeah, close the gates because you're not seizing the day. I love when she <laughs> says to Charlie, like, you know what? Also, by the way, this is a new rule I've decided. I don't want my baby to be around liars, so it's time for you to leave. Yeah, drug addicts and baby drowners, maybe. But liars? That's where I Claire, draw the line. Claire's, Claire's hilarious here. She's like, I don't want him to be around liars, so it's time for you to go. And Charlie's like, what? What did I do? I'm just trying not to die. And I don't think that you believe me. And she just yells at him to leave so he leaves um flashback time there's a new doctor in town the american is it hopper uh, oh no. it could have oh, i would have loved to see david harbour pop yeah, up in his hawaiian not, shirt like uh, hey it, hey claire uh, it's not him it's not him uh of course it's uh it's christian and we're gonna hear christian shepherd and claire meet for the very first time excuse me The nurse said, Are you a doctor? Yes, um. I'm, um. I'm very sorry. I, I shouldn't be disturbing you. I was just leaving. What are you doing here? I was just on my way out, Lindsay. If Carol knew you were here. She'd what? What would she do? She wouldn't be acting the way you are. Aunt Lindsay, what's going on here? Who is he? It doesn't matter. Just go. Maybe you should tell her, Lindsay. She deserves to know. Please, just leave us alone. You are not the arbiter here. No. In these circumstances, I do believe that Claire has every right to do it. Just stop it! Are you the one paying the bills? Are you the one taking care of all this? Yes. And who are you? I'm your father, Claire. Like grabs her hand that's inside a sleeve. Yeah, well, she's got the cast on. 
Uh, it's holding it together. Uh, yeah, what if she had a metallic arm that came out of the cast? Uh, can you play the very start of the clip again? Because I think in the background, like on the speaker, it sounds like someone's like saying like, Travis, paging <laughs> Travis. Ooh, let's see. Let's, just very, let's... just like, like after Claire says, who are you? There's just like a, a little stretch where you can hear someone like paging in the background. Is the person saying, Travis, paging right. Travis? Let's listen for ghost Travis. Let's see. Maybe not. Uh, let's see. Okay, I might not be able to get it back up again. Listen, maybe Travis doesn't want to be found. So, I don't know. Go back and watch that scene. Let me know. Am I crazy? Are they, who's Travis? Is Travis mm, maybe was, he's an important... Well, I did hear earlier, uh, when we first get to the hospital, I heard Dr. Chang on the loudspeaker, which, considering your Pierre, community watch, I was like, Pierre. oh, this feels very... Yeah, this feels very... Uh, or Pierre Chang. Yeah, it could have been Marvin Candle nursing yeah, his own hand injury. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who knows when this took place, right? Uh, Travis. All right, so there we go. It's Christian... He's here. We'll get into it a little bit more. But like the thing that I want to pick apart here is like, wow, really anticlimactic reveal. This is a very big deal. Jack's yeah. father is Claire's father. And we're kind of really casually dropping this information. Yeah, especially for like a what was it? Probably like an act four break or something. I think it's also tough to like have the reveal the reveal vocally is at the end of the of the act break, but you pretty much know when you see Christian Shepard there what the implications are, right? So it feels weird to have this entire scene, this entire argument between Christian and Lindsay, and then for him to reveal that he was his father. It could have just been as simple as the Americans here. She walks in, he turns around. It's Christian Shepard. Cut to commercial. It's odd. It's odd for sure. Uh, and, and so, like, I think that that is. A bit of a demerit for the episode for me is that, like, this is really big information, and I think that the way that they deliver it, they just didn't quite figure out, like, how to do it, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I think, like, it... Especially, it's it's not just that piece of it, though that's an important piece, right? That, like, visually, immediately, you know. You know why he's here. He's her dad, okay. And so then they try and play I'm her father as a, as a big reveal, but, like, we're already ahead of the scene. Um, but also that it's coming so late in the episode... Um, like, th- is, were were there not a like? Could we not have gotten here faster? Right? Like, did we yeah. need the the police officer scene? Could you have excised that completely? And the second flashback scene of the episode is Claire and Aunt Lindsay and the doctor saying there's a mysterious benefactor, and now this is flashback scene three instead of scene four, and we've got a little more room to play with Christian Shepherd. Yeah, I I think that, or even like. I don't know. I know you like opening with the visceral, you know, car accident thing. But like you said, if it's if it's less so about uh, putting the blame on Claire and more so about this big Christian Shepherd reveal, I agree. I think they were trying to essentially do two things at once. And as a result, I think they sort of end up doing half as Ron Swanson would say, they half ass two things instead of whole assing one thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do love that scene. Like, I, I don't know. Uh yeah, also, I think I got the uh, the Travis thing going, so let's see if, if Oh, let's works. hear it, yeah. Excuse me. The nurse said... Wait, so this is what, Travis and asking for medical students? Yeah, say, Mr. Travis, come to the... Am I... Is this like a Laurel and Yanni thing? No, I, I heard Travis, too. Let's listen one more time. Okay. Excuse me. It, it sounds like this guy's like improvising. On the <laughs> it sounds like this guy saying, "This is what I heard this time was 
My name's Travis. Report to the ER. My oh, name is Travis. <laughs> no, I definitely did not hear that. I heard, I heard paging Mr. Travis. Um, can you get the medical students? Um, <laughs> all right. Tell us what you heard. Uh, what did, what did, what did, uh, Bill Murray whisper to Scarlett Johansson? All Maybe right, this so, is what he whispered. Mr. Yeah, Travis, um, Mr. the medical Travis. students. <laughs> I'm Mr. Travis. Uh, could you come to the ER? Uh, all right. So back at the fence. Uh, they're like, all right, lock you dick. You're going to have to chop the tree. Yeah, exactly. that, like, we're going we're gonna to watch right, you. We're going to climb the thing and you do the work. So he chops the tree. They set up the thing. They are literally going to climb over the pylon and, with and, the tree. And Kate's like, this is my time. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> Down here, up here. Uh, yeah, I mean, Kate is great. Obviously, like, uh, I think Kate in this episode is, it's a very strong Kate episode where she's never in the wrong. She's constantly, like, she's trying to get information. She's yeah, trying she to come, move and people she comes, along. She's the one who comes up, as we heard in the clip, she's the one that comes up with the idea to go over instead yes. of uh, in or around the the pylons, which ends up getting them into Dharmaville to begin with. So, and, yeah. And I, I also love, I don't know, I didn't think it meant to be the case, but I thought that the tree was probably more high up than I thought. So when I see uh, when I see, you know, Kate drop down out of the tree and she drops like two feet, I got like a little bit of a chuckle just thinking like, oh my god, it's a yeah. tense situation. Well, let me ask you something. This sonar fence, the sonic fence, whatever, uh, this is designed to keep out the monster. The monster is a smoke monster that flies around, can grow. Why doesn't the smoke monster just like fly over the fence? Mm. Could it be? Yeah, I guess because it. Yeah, because I guess it could. Because like obviously, like they can climb over the fence and they're fine, right? Uh, so why can't the monster fly over the fence and it's fine? Mm, maybe it's more of like a, a diplomatic thing. Like due to the treaty, you are not allowed to come in, and the monsters just I don't very think respectful that the monster of boundaries. Signed shit, I don't think the monster signed anything. Maybe the monster got tricked into signing something. It's like, hey, sign for this package. He's like, no, great, I love the package. No, damn it, I signed no, my rights away. No way, no chance, no chance. This is just another one of the rules where Jacob's like, also, we've got a, a sonic fence that uh, that that, we, that the Dharma people built, and you're not allowed to go well, through that because sonic stuff really messes with you. And the smoke monster's like, uh, okay, well then I'll yeah. just fly over it. And then Jacob's like, ah, nope, new rule, you can't fly over it. Also, I'm made of sound, so yeah. I don't know how that impairs me. Now I just have the image though of Stanley showing up as a courier being like stanky monster please yeah. sign for this yeah jacob's like you can't fly over it it's a rule yeah it is a bit calvin ball-esque right of like no you can't do that now can't new do rule that. can't do it um all right so they go over and at a on the amazon video on the amazon prime of of this uh episode at like around twenty eight twenty is where you can see uh mikhail is a thousand percent breathing <laughs> definitely a hundred percent breathing um all right, so uh, Claire is really mad. She's upset. She's talking with Sun. And then Sun, meanwhile, is like, hey, by the way, uh, Desmond and Charlie, whatever's going on here, they're not on the same page. Look at that. And so they're fighting in the distance. And Claire is like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and get some answers. I've got some answers that I'm going to pursue. So we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But first, it's another flashback. Claire's at the tattoo parlor. Uh, you can, if you look closely at around, I think it's like 3129 on the Amazon Prime uh, stream. You can see Mike Bloom in the background getting <laughs> yeah, a tattoo. Actually, I, should, I should have came right. Much like Christian's reveal, it should have come much earlier in the yes, episode. I was yes. actually on an episode of Lost where yes. I'm getting my tattoo and I'm like, <laughs> God damn you, Brand Steel. Why'd you make yeah. me have to come to Australia to get one? 
it's Christian. He shows up. He just wants a cup of coffee, and then he'll be gone for good. Uh, so let's go listen into this cup of coffee. Here it is. It's true. Yes, it's true. How'd you find out about the accident? Well, a doctor friend here in Sydney told me. I got the call. The minute your mother went into surgery. Why did she tell me that you're dead? Well, because I, no doubt, left her with so many wonderful memories. Look, we had a fling. I was back in Los Angeles, and she told me that she was pregnant, that she was going to have the baby. Have you? You didn't. You didn't want to see me? No. No, I came out a bunch of times when we were little. I stayed over. Gave you toys. I sang to you. Why'd you stop coming? Because your aunt hates me. And your mother didn't like the fact that I, um... I had another family. Why are you here now, then? And why'd you come? You could have just paid the bills from the States. I came over because I wanted to help. Help with what? Claire, your mother is alive. But she's not really living. What's that supposed to mean? It means that now may be the time to look at other alternatives, other ways to relieve her pain. Now, it is illegal to turn off her machines, but I know of ways that can achieve the same effect without the legal consequences. Just stop it! But you didn't come here to help me. You came here to try and fix a mistake that you made. No, honey, that's not true. You think that just paying her bills makes you noble or something? You come down here and you try and get me to kill her? You know, just go. Why don't you just go? Go back to your real family. You know, you might be my father, but I don't even know your name. And I um, wanted to stay that way. Claire, 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 listen, listen to me, listen to me. Do not keep your mother alive for the wrong reasons. Now, there is hope and there is guilt, and believe me, I know the difference. Bye, kiddo. It's great seeing you again. Josh, never say Christian Dr. Kevorkian Shepherd does not have what it takes because he came to Australia to tell Claire loopholes as to how she could kill her mother. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, I know ways that would have different legal ramifications. You just, so you just grab her, <laughs> you, you shake. A, yeah, uh, exactly. You put a pillow over her face. You ever see one flew over the cuckoo's nest and you throw the it. water fountain out it. the window? Don't tell me I won't. I'll do whatever it takes. I've got what it takes. Uh, I like Christian and Claire together. I wish that this worked out. I, w- I would love to have seen more of them together exactly, in this, exactly. in this that's, context. Yeah. That's, that's what I was thinking as I was like even re-listening to this now in light of the conversation we had at the top of the pod uh, is like this idea of 
Like in season four, can you imagine that like instead of cabin fever where we're getting the upteenth John Locke flashback where we're watching him as a kid and all of this stuff? Like imagine getting like Claire as a kid and seeing a little bit of those times where like Christian was with her. Yeah. Uh, or Christian, I think that I mean, it, uh, yeah, I will, I will say like to that point when he says that he's saying to her and knowing what she talks about, catch a falling star yeah. and raise like that really hit me. And you could tell that really hits Emily Duravin as well. Yeah. So like, I, I, here's, here's the thing too. And this is where I want to cut lost a little bit of slack. Cause of course I want to cut lost <laughs> a little bit of slack. Uh, is that the writer strike happens in season four. So who knows what the plans are? But I, I wonder if Claire is a character that gets a little bit underserved because of that. Uh, is there an episode in season four? If they're still planning the basic shape of where they go, uh, the shape of things to come in season four, like if they know where they're going, they just think they have more time to get there. Right. Is, are there designs on, um, explaining like telling the story of like Claire getting separated from the rest of the group through her perspective. Uh, do they have like a plan that's like a Christian episode where, uh, you know, they're, they're showing him even that like a Christian shepherd flashback episode could have been cool at some point. Yeah, in time. I mean, listen, I know that obviously the incident has its Jacob centric stuff, but even doing an episode about Christian shepherd, he doesn't need to touch everybody, but like basically maybe him leading that double life. Cause the other thing as well is so, I guess now that we sort of know Christian's Australian tryst, so I guess maybe because he has a colleague in Australia, is that what he was doing here in the first place? Was like he was just sort of consorting with him and then happened to find his way in with Carol Littleton? Or was it that Carol Littleton was in California and had a one-night stand with Christian Shepard? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it worked. Uh, either way, he's, he's logged a lot of time down under, uh, is yeah, what it sounds like. Lots, so I, lots of lots of, uh, yeah, lots of airline miles. I mean, this is a really... I would have liked real- to have seen it, man. I think it would have been good. Yeah, I mean, this is also a very interesting Christian Shepherd episode, too, because I do not agree with Claire in her saying, like, you're being here to sort of, like, resolve your own guilt because you feel bad. I feel like that's a bit more of a wild accusation. On the other hand, it seems like one of the reasons why Christian is there, it's a very cold-heartedly tell her, like, look, I know I love you, love your mother, and who knows how many months have passed since she was initially comatose, but I think it's time to let her go. Yeah, yeah. He, he loves to tell people when to let things go. Exactly, but like, and maybe that's the thing, he's like, well, if my son can't do it, then damn it, maybe my daughter got this from yeah, me. Yeah, maybe, maybe that'll be the way to go, so, I don't know, I... I, I, I like Christian a lot in this episode. I think, like, he's showing up, He's there. He's trying to make things right. And he's trying to like give his like sound medical advice. And like the thing is, is that like Claire's mom, you, you kind of, I think it's implied that like she comes back largely because of like, uh, miraculous island stuff. Yeah. Is, well, it's, it's interesting it that you say, uh, she, because fun fact, we got a bit of a penny situation here. The actress in that hospital bed, Josh, is not who appears in the end of season four. Yeah, I think that's fine. I don't have any. No, I just think it's funny that we get, get another another penny situation. I believe it's a Arlene Newman Van Asprin plays comatose Carol Littleton, and Susan Dwerden plays a lot or a non comatose Carol Littleton. Maybe it was that she's like, well, now that I'm awake, give me a facelift. Damn it, I've earned that much. Mm-hmm. Maybe. All right. So uh, back in uh, reality, oh, there goes gravity. Uh, there goes Claire. Getting mad at Desmond being like, you're catching a bird! She's following him into navigation of like, I want to see you carry out your task. What are you doing? You're acting super sus. Are you getting a bird on your own? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're in the engine room. Uh, He's like, yeah, all right. So look, you want to know what happened? So you see those rocks over there? That's where Charlie fell and the the bloody rocks got their revenge (laughs) against the bloody rock god. 
and he smashed. He's, he's not the bloody rock and water god, to be uh, fair. He got smashed to ribbons against it, and uh, that's where he died. And she's like, excuse me? He's like, yeah, what I'm trying to tell you is uh, I have flashes uh, before my eyes, before my eyes. <laughs> where and- I can't stop seeing your, your boyfriend die. I'm trying to save him. That's why I broke up the picnic. And I know that we got a question from Fitzy that said, should Desmond have told Claire his secret? I honestly don't see why he shouldn't. I honestly don't see why Desmond shouldn't tell everybody about it, because as he's proven in flashes before your eyes, like he's kind of powerless to the eventuality of it all. And yeah. so if it's not going to fundamentally affect the end product, why not disclose it to anybody? You might have people who laugh in your face, but at the same time, like at least you don't have to sneak around being super shady like you did this episode. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Uh, I, I think like the other things like he could have just been like, look, you've been on this island before. You know this island, right? This island, crazy island, right? So let me tell you something that happens on this. Island. I can see the future. Yeah, I can see the future. <laughs> uh, I can see the future. I can see the future, sister. You know, like I can see it. I can see the future. Uh, and I keep seeing bad things happening to your guy. And you're just gonna have to trust that that is what's going but, on. But I can only and see I, flashes. I can see a scooch of future. And, you know, like, she's, like, into all of this stuff, so she's like, oh, no, I totally buy it. That makes sense. Well, uh, again, like, she saw a freaking psychic before she went onto the island, so I think she's totally open to believing in paranormal activity. Yeah, so she she buys it. I think that that, that makes some sense. So he tells her, I see the future. Uh, this is where your this is where your guide dies. Uh, so uh, we we go back with Claire to Charlie. She's like, yeah, he told me everything about the future, seeing the, that he sees about the, the future. future. <laughs> uh, back to the future. Uh, and she's like, you don't believe any of that, right? And she never really says. She never well, really says. I I like to think so. I think it's. I think it also be sort of like a well. If you believe it, I believe it. But yeah, this again speaks to something I said in Trisha Tanaka, where Charlie himself is such a skeptic that he automatically assumes everyone will approach something with as much skepticism as he does. Yeah, like yeah. when he tells Hurley, "Hey, Desmond told me I was going to die." Hurley's like, "Okay, yeah." And Claire reacts the same way. So I guess good on Charlie for at least maybe seeing other worldviews that not everybody should walk into everything holding grains of salt. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Uh, anyway, we get the final flashback of the episode. Final Claire flashback scene, period. Yeah, where Claire is going to... So now, like, the goth hair is gone. R.I.P. goth hair. Is, I loved it. Uh, and now it's Claire, you know, shortly before takeoff for 815. She's going to see her mom one last time, and she is going to bear her soul. So how are you today, Mom? Did you have an okay night? There's, um... Something I have to tell you, Mum. Something I should have told you a long time ago. I'm pregnant. I am. I'm giving it away. But it's, it's it's for the best. I don't know how you did it. Raising me alone. 
must have been so hard. And I was just awful. sad i mean emily de raven she's just, great in that scene she's really yeah, great in that scene it, it, it seems like it's seen episodes like this in maternity leave where like emily de raven despite maybe the clear writing just like brings it home in a fantastic monologue or i call this one the monologue uh, and she just does such a great job and it's such there's initial- sometimes where emily de raven's like very meme worthy you know yeah. like uh, stay away from my baby okay charlie like there's like you can go there but like then like she she brings it in a scene like this she really really does yeah and i think that this touches upon as we talked about a theme that maybe should have been focused on more if again they they wanted to underline one specific theme outside of the christian stuff which is her guilt and blaming herself for what happened and it's also coupled a bit with you know, uh, both of us are lucky to have not lost our parents. In fact, your parents are watching Lost, not losing them. Uh, but, you know, I certainly, we certainly know people who have lost parents and have said, you know, like, I can't believe the last thing I told my dad or my mom was this. Uh, whether it was something as inflammatory as Claire said or even something innocuous, there's something about the finality of last words that can really reverberate with someone and make them hold on to it so much, which again informs why someone like Christian Shepard who faces death every day can sort of like shrug it off. It's clearly something that Claire has kept with her for assumingly months and or years up to this point. I actually think that the flashback might take place in like the late nineties or something, according to Lostpedia. So she has held on to this for several years. And it just, I mean, it, it breaks my heart to, to think of the fact that you may never see someone you love so much again and the last thing you said to them was so like emotionally driven and impetuous that like that is the last encounter you will have with someone it quite literally haunts you and you can feel that haunting in her monologue here the other thing too is uh like the different you know the the arc of of growing up and like her her having been um like in such a fight with her mom in that moment and now like fine and like her mom being a single parent and now finding herself on the verge of like she was you know almost going to be a single parent now she's decided to to put her you know to give her child to to another set of parents and i'm assuming this is before the the poor stewart's mvps got deprived of their child and the pen stopped working 
I would, I or yeah, like or or she's on her way to L.A. We don't know, you That's know, true. like wh- what the what the plan is there. Um, but I think like just the the way in which I don't know, like the way in which like I, I think that it's a, not an uncommon thing is like you get you get older and like the shit that you were so mad at your parents about before, like you start to be oh no oh yeah well I'm. I must have been awful. How did you I do mean, it? You know, I mean, listen, I, as a as a new parent you myself, me, I yeah. felt exactly that. And it happens you know? with everybody of like, wow, I did not realize how parenting like can just yeah. be so tough to do and how you do certain things that mimic your parent style or, or the complete opposite. But like, no wonder you guys acted this way, depending on like how tough it can be to raise a child in certain circumstances. So, yeah, it really does come from maturity and life experience, which is another reason why I'm also glad that we put this scene in here, because otherwise... It would sort of kind of just be, you know, youthful, emotional, impetuous Claire. And while there was some interesting stuff between her and Christian, I wouldn't want to end Claire flashbacks on the last scene with her and Christian. I agree. You know, this, this agree. feels like a nice send off to Claire flashbacks, this final scene. As as far as that goes, I agree. Um, but the but the best Claire moment of the episode is not even anything that she she says with her with her voice. Uh, it's what she says with her words and her writing. As Charlie has signed on for uh, the the carrier pigeon plot, uh, and he recites the message that Claire has written on the bird, which I love. I, this is a great bit of writing. So let's listen in on it for the final sign of the episode. To whom it may concern, we are survivors of Oceanic Flight 815. We have survived on this island for 80 days. We were six hours into the flight and the pilot said we were off course and turned back towards Fiji. We had turbulence and crashed. I've been waiting here all this time. Waiting for rescue that has not come. We do not know where we are. We only know you have not found us. We've done our best to live on this island. Some of us have come to accept we may never leave it. Not all of us have survived since the crash. But there is new life, too. And with it, there is hope. We are alive. Charlie. It's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. We'll get through this together. And you hear a bang, and Desmond comes out with his rifle. 
<laughs> oh man, top-notch Claire content. Uh, yeah, hell of a writer. This this Claire Littleton. She's and it's a beautiful scene too. Uh, we'll get into the, some of the Jim Fell stuff later, but fun fact: that song that plays. Get into it now. I want to know. Let's okay, talk about so yeah, the, the music because it's a, it's a great Chicano uh, score moment as well, and it's a great Charlie Claire theme in particular because we're gonna hear this little ditty pop back up during the end of when Charlie and Claire both wake up. So it really is like a Charlie and Claire theme. There's also another one uh, during the monologue in the second to last sound. The song that plays there actually plays when Charlie finishes his greatest hits list, which, you know, memorably had like the day I met you as part of his greatest hits. So there's a lot of Charlie and Claire thematic content that rings throughout this episode through the rest of season three and all the way forward to the end. That's awesome. Um, I really like this. I mean, like, uh, the next scene is obviously like the football scene and it's hysterical, uh, cause they get to the barracks and Jack starts running towards them. And you think Jack's like, yes, my friends, but no, he's just playing football with Mr. Friendly. Uh, and so they, and they play it for a huge drama, right? With like the big strings and the suspense and he spikes the football and you crash to lost and they play it like a very earnest, suspenseful lost cliffhanger, which not that it's not Jack playing football with the others after everything we've seen him go through is kind of a terrifying right. You're look. like, oh, because we've seen in the past that the others are capable of brainwashing or at least yeah. attempts to. So it's like, have they lobotomized him? You know, last time we saw him, he was like begrudgingly getting on the boat with Juliet and he was smiling at her. So like, has he been fully ensconced within them? It's a little undone in retrospect by the fact that MC Ganey and Matthew Fox are pretty damn funny with the football. Obviously, MC Ganey's throwing ability has been a hot topic. Amongst Down Servo had asked, who taught Tom how to throw a football? Nobody, okay? He's a young, he's an older Josh Wiggler. Nobody was, taught him. It was me. It was my dad. My dad. But I think <laughs> what also should be noticed is Matthew Fox's, in my opinion, terrifically derpy touchdown dance. Where he, oh, like, it's so pauses, funny. He like, does a Heisman, pauses for a hot step, like, Oh, oh, and then spikes the ball just so awkwardly. It's incredibly fun. It's so funny. I would I would rate it below. Got any milk? But as like a like a kind of like non sequitur ending, it's it's still really really great. Um, and I and I I don't mean to yada yada past the Claire thing. Um, but I but I bring it up because like yes, this ed- this episode has like an incredibly memorable ending. But I think the ending to the Claire piece and the penultimate scene of the episode is actually. Uh, really really great and probably yeah. not getting remembered the way it ought to get remembered it's so pretty and it even calls back to those montages we love on loss right with pertinent parts of the letter sawyer's reading the fountainhead uh you know desmond sits in his tent when they say some people have accepted we may never leave sons cradling Aaron when they say there is new life and with that there is hope i love that charlie's the one and obviously claire will follow up on this but him saying we are alive please don't give up on us because i do like between this and treasure tanaka this arc of like yeah, you have a death sentence, but that doesn't mean you can't make the most of what time you have left, which I think is an extremely inspiring thing in the wake of such like a depressing declaration of, of death. And it's a really sweet thing. And I think, you know, it, it's great that we have these Charlie Claire scenes instead of the ones that end freaking live together, die alone, where they're kissing after All he right, stumbled okay, out. Okay, 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 calm down. It's okay. Up. It's okay. Up. It's okay. We're going to be okay. But, it's, but it's, okay. it's a genuinely cute scene. And I think yes. that also, I think. Claire's words to Charlie are also so sweet and so I won't give up on you, Charlie, until you're dead, at which point I will completely forget about you. Yeah, that's an that's an asterisk, but we won't we won't speak on that yet, uh, not until the body's cold. Yeah. Um 
Well, let's talk about some bodies. Let's give some MVPs and LVPs this week. Uh, I've got three MVPs. You've got three LVPs. I'll just kick it off. Uh, Claire Littleton, come on down. Uh, really great Emily DeRaven performance. Uh, the the writing is, is really, really, really great in terms of that final speech. And also just impressive vision. Right. Yeah. Uh, not just in terms of like vision of an idea, but like literally she sees like the glint of metal. She's like, we could use that. That's a good, we could put a thing. They're being tracked. Yeah. I mean, I think she has a lot of great stuff here. So obviously she's also really on to Desmond and Charlie. Again, it doesn't take a, an expector Clouseau to be, or Rousseau to be able to see through it, but like she calls them out on it. She gets the information out of Desmond and a bird to boot and she ultimately succeeded in her plan. Bernard couldn't. Uh, so I think she gets a point there in my book as well. I'll throw one, my other one onto Kate. We talked about this before, so I won't repeat the point, but very good episode for Kate. She has some nice personal moments with Rousseau. She comes up with the plan to go over the pylons to get them into Dharmaville. So very good stuff for Kate. Yeah, I agree. I'm giving Kate a point as well for those reasons. And then my final MVP point, um, I'm going to split it. We've done this before. <laughs> we love splitting gonna, it up between the Quans. Yeah, I'm giving the Quans a half and half, which is actually going to make them whole. They've been lingering with like a half point each uh, for the last little while because we did this once upon a time. Uh, so I'm giving them uh, one point split across the two, which is going to boost the two of them uh, to, I believe, Jin has nine points. Sun has eight points uh, all time. Um, as a result of this, uh, this, this point, uh, this point five for both of them. So uh, cheating a little bit, but it's been bothering me. So I'm fixing it. Yeah, you're, you're both great in this, right? Like they're like, yeah, Claire, whatever you want to do, it's your day. Let's seize the day. Let's do this. Yeah, if I had to pick between the two, maybe I would, I would slight Sun more because she's also serving as like someone for Claire to chat with. But Jin is also the practical one. Like he's the one who set up the trap. Oh, they're both so on board. They're so on board. They're like, yeah, 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 for sure. Let's so do this. So on board. Yeah, they're really, they're really into it. All right, LVP time. Who do you got? I got three points and two of them are going to Johnny Locke. And I don't, oh, no. I, just, I don't want any like, but Mike, John Locke wasn't bad this, he was bad this episode, folks. I know we love John Locke, but he was not very good in this episode. He killed a person. He lied about stuff. He got caught red handed. He's going to have a better episode next time. It's okay. Is he? Is he? I, I don't know. know. He, has, he, has, he has some fun scenes with Ben. I think John Locke uh, in the present, much like he's about to be in the past, is in free fall because I'm throwing a, a, an LVP on Locke as well. So that's that's negative three for Locke right now, which I think has him at uh, not just a negative four for the season, uh, but overall a Oof. negative four. And I think he's going to plummet further next week would be my bet. Maybe not a lot because performance stuff might uh, like even things out. I know that's, that's been an equalizer in the past, but I can't imagine Locke doesn't leave next week without an LVP. Uh, so that's going to push him. If he gets to negative five, he's starting to get in rarefied air. Oh, boy. Uh, well, here's so. my question. Will Charlie be higher than Locke at the end of season three? By the end of season three, I expect yes, I do. I do think so. I do think so. I think Locke is, uh, Locke will ultimately, I expect, end in the positives. Um, but probably low single digits would be my bet. Uh, and not by the end of season three. I think season three, he's in the negatives would be my guess. Would be my guess for John Locke just thinking about the, the arc. So I'll give Locke a negative for the reasons you state. And then I'll give my second negative. I'm going to give it to Aunt Lindsay. <laughs> uh, like I think shower shaming Claire, like she's just been through a traumatic incident. Be cool, man. Like let let Claire live. Uh, Aunt Lindsay, you get a you get a demerit. 
And I'm going to give my final LVP point. I sort of showed my hand during sound number six, but I'm going to give it to Christian here. Look, he does do a great thing in that if apparently in this in this medical universe in Australia, they need, you know, money from a private donor to keep her essentially on life support. Good on him for doing that. But at the same time, I don't think it's a great look for him to be like, hey, Claire, I'm your dad. You could kill your mom. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Again, I think he has... I mean, not the best intentions, but I think the most pragmatic intentions. He needed a few more coffee dates before he was able to at sell least, that Again, one. as Claire said, at least give your name, yeah, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, yeah. I think a little too quick there on the button. So I'm going to dock Christian. I was just looking at the total. Does Christian Shepard really only have like a negative two at this yeah, point? Yeah, so, because sometimes we give him a thumbs up. You know, right, because he does give like, like I think him handling the, the Jack Christian's stuff like, was yeah, okay. He's like a, a, you know, a high variance character. Sometimes he's up, sometimes he's down. Not unlike John Locke, actually. Yeah, maybe I was confusing him with next week when we get into a perennial bad daddy and Anthony Cooper, who's going to oh, yeah. return. Tony Coops is going to be uh, back in the mix yeah, next week. I would not week. be surprised if the other ties or overtakes Pickett, who's at negative 10 right now. Yeah, so Pickett is uh, our leader in the LVPs right now at negative 10. I expect he will either be tied or surpassed. So enjoy it while you got it, Danny. Uh, you're, you're in the negative 10 uh, leader position right now, but I think Tony Coops is coming for you. Um, 4.2 stars, like I said before, 3.2 for me, um, which is the same score I gave the whole truth. A, a good episode of Lost. I really enjoyed rewatching it, revisiting it. There were certain things in this episode that I appreciated more this time around that maybe I hadn't even really appreciated at all previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really fun ending. The football scene is just great. Uh, and a really good setup for where we're going next week. And like giving you that week in the real time was like, shit, did they get to Jack? Uh, was, was a really, uh, cool one to kind of chew on for a little while. Um, so yeah, I really like Paravion. I, I think when I'm looking at the board here, board, uh, board, yeah, when I'm looking at the board here, uh, of all the episodes so far, uh, I have Par Avion uh, exactly where I think it ought to be. Uh, like I have it higher than Every Man for Himself, Glass Bowery, and a Further Instructions, and yes, even Stranger in a Strange Land, uh, which I know is a shocker because I love that episode. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think it is it is appropriately placed for me that I have it higher than than those episodes. I'd rather watch this one than any of those again. Yeah, so I'm going to join you on the three point two train. For me, I was really trying to look at like. How, where does this episode compare to other season three episodes for me, which is what I've been doing as of late? I've been really going back and forth as to like, would I, do I enjoy every man for himself more or less than Par Avion? And honestly, they're sort of like on the same level for me. And then I do think, you know, there's a really interesting plot that's done between the Sonic Fences in this and between Sawyer getting conned and all the emotional stuff there in every man for himself. The flashbacks, there's some interesting stuff, though I think the flashbacks are stronger in Par Evian than everything for himself. But Par Evian also has, I don't know, there, there's some messiness there. And I do feel like, you know, I think looking at this through the lens of like, this is the last real Claire highlight, it does give me a bit of bitterness, admittedly. Uh, so I put it actually giving it the, the same score, which is again in like the good episode of Lost tier. I think that there are, Better episodes than this one, but I think there is certainly great stuff to pick out. Obviously, you talked about the ending. We talk about Mikhail's quote-unquote death. Like, there is some fun to be had, and Emily DeRaven brings some great performances. But I can totally understand why, especially in the middle of the season, this is one of the more forgotten episodes. 
For sure. Uh, 3.1 from the audience gives it a 3.18 between all of our scores. Yeah. There, there's been a lot of like, it basically ranges between like high twos and a few high threes as well. So I think we're all sort of in the same boat yeah, of like, I think so. good to like, if you have a good emotional resonance with this, I can understand you wanting to maybe be a little higher. But yeah, I think like uncontroversial, like solid, like good middle of the road lost episode. You know, if you forget this one, I understand. If you don't, like, then it resonated with you in a different way. I think, uh, Final Claire send off. I, I wish that we'd had more from her. Uh, obviously, not the end of her as a character, but the end of her as like sort of like a focus in this way. Um, you know, I, I wish that we'd gotten more along the way. And I think even here, even though I, I like a lot of the flashback material, I think it, it's a little wobbly in, in, yeah. in certain points. So. so the Claire flashback episodes were officially done, but with those go in order of score raised by another maternity leave par avion do you agree with that is that is that how you would rank the claire flashback episodes yeah off the top of my head that feels right to me yeah i would agree i think that par um, maternity leave might get like a smidge more credit because of the unique method of storytelling Mm -hmm. and there are some stuff there but i do feel like raised by another also had like a killer ending as well with the ethan stuff so yeah I, I think it makes sense. They're not huge steps down. It goes from, uh, I believe, a 3.586 to a 3.385 to what is par on like a 3.21. So it's not like huge scales down like we've seen with other characters flashback episodes. But I do find it interesting. Uh, maybe as we sort of conclude characters flashback episodes, we can sort of do like a roundup of how their flashback episodes rank to sort of see if there's a pattern as to how they do. Wow, I'm like sad that uh that it's it's already over for for Claire. I know we're only halfway through our our lost rewatch, but the fact that yeah, we're uh we're already done with a certain character's flashbacks and they're not even dead like this I don't know, it's starting to feel it's starting to feel real. Yeah, it feels it feels conclusive from a certain perspective. Even though, even though like you said, we have a lot we got of a stuff lot to get of, through. A lot of life to live, hopefully. Before, <laughs> before yeah, we, we got to seize the, the pod. Every single pod is... We have to do it every, like it's our last. Every pod counts. All right. So uh, 3.2s across the board. I stand corrected. 3.2s across the board for Par Avion, which gives it a 3.21, technically. Um, so it is... Uh, it is it is exciting because uh, we're about to and it's about it's, no, it's number eight, which is a great loss number. We're about to we're about to see what happened to John Locke. Uh, we're about to see John Locke drop uh, the man from Tallahassee coming your way just in time for uh, a little a little bit shy of Halloween. Uh, so that's on on the way. We're going to get some answers. For how did Locke wind up in the wheelchair? Get your feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can also talk to us on the Discord. As we mentioned, if you become a patron of Post Recaps, patreon.com slash postshowrecaps. Help get us towards the wiggle bloom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike and I want to do that podcast. So uh, help us out. And that'll be how you can listen to it is if you're a member of the Patreon. So patreon.com slash post show recaps. Mike Bloom, how's Disco going? Disco had a really, really fun season. Uh, season three premiere it was very different it was smaller it was simpler it was funny and jessica lisa and i got into it all as we're introduced to the world of the 3100s and the prospects that could be coming and of course we're just getting started to use a poster recaps parlance Uh, episode two should have already dropped on cbs all access by the time this podcast is out and so it'll only be a short amount of time until jess and i get together to talk through that and also, I spoke about our good friend Chappelle before, Josh, you and I and him got together to conclude the epic first ever two-part brand steel Australian Survivor and the game. We got to see the post-merge take place as 12 
turn to one, the 12 remaining Avengers or MCU characters battling it out in a game of Survivor. Again, if you are able to get to the Wiggle Bloom milestone, there is more where that came from. But that was a very, very fun time getting together and also on the side explaining certain things to Chappelle, who has never seen Australian mm-hmm. Survivor before. I just have MCU Ganey in my head, but yes. maybe that's because he's playing football at the end of this episode. Yeah, maybe uh, uh, MCU Ganey in uh, Endgame is like, here, catch the gauntlet and just completely flubs it. A million things happening on Post Show Recaps right now. The Pen15 podcast is getting ready to go into the finale, and then we'll have one more bonus show there. Fear the Walking Dead, World Beyond with Jess and Chappelle. Uh, Avatar, hang in there. The rewatch, it's happening. Uh, on the patron feed, a lot going on with the movies. The movies, movies, we got the movies. Post Show Recaps Theater, uh, community building, watching with Wiggler. So it's a heck of a time to be in on the Post Show Recaps game. The Mandalorian coverage is starting up. Yeah. It is crazy to me that we are soon going to be ending 2020 at a time where there are Star Trek and Star Wars TV Mm -hmm. shows on air at the same time. Yeah, and getting coverage on Post Show Recap. So uh, check all that out. Uh, Listen to the podcasts that suit you. Uh, We know that Down the Hatch suits you real well. So we'll be back next week with the man from Tallahassee, the Magic Box. I know Ben Martell's looking forward to that. Magic box. Loves the metaphor. Uh, We'll get into the magic box of it all next week on Down the Hatch. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye. Excuse me. Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy. Interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood? Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello.